Section 20 of the Crusades by George William Cox. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 11. The Sixth Crusade, Part 1. The infatuation by which, in every instance, the champions of the cross had nullified or thrown away the advantages gained by their victories was to be shown not less persistently in the Sixth Crusade but the short-sighted obstinacy of the mass was to be brought out in more prominent relief by its contrast with the moderation and sagacity of the great sovereign whose name is especially associated with this enterprise in the career of this remarkable man we have a picture in which we see running together or side by side the lines which belong to the old order of things with others which seem to belong exclusively to the modern civilization of europe the struggle between frederick the second and gregory the ninth anticipated in more than one of its features the struggle between leo the tenth and luther the famine which dandolo urged on the leaders of the fifth crusade as a reason for delaying their voyage to palestine till the spring which followed the conquest of zara pressed less heavily on the latin christians in the holy land than the destruction wrought by an earthquake which laid many cities in ruins and which was regarded as a presage of the last judgment in spite of this belief much money and labour was spent in repairing the shattered walls of acre and amongst the captives impressed for the work was it is said the persian poet saadi both sides in fact were greatly weakened and depressed and the tidings that constantinople was in the hands of boniface dandolo and baldwin carried with them for safedin a conclusive reason for concluding a peace in twelve o four of six years with the christians but before the six years had come to an end the death of almeric and his wife had left to mary in twelve o six the daughter of isabella and conrad of tyre the titular sovereignty of jerusalem unable to find on the spot a man of sufficient energy and ability to share with her the shadowy dignity the barons invoked the aid of the french king philip augustus to find her a husband his choice fell on john of brienne who promised to lead a powerful army to palestine within two years the prospect of this formidable increase to the strength of his enemies led Safadin to propose a renewal of the peace and to give as guarantees of his good faith any ten castles which they might choose to name as we might expect the approval of the teutonic knights and the hospitallers called forth the angry protests of the templars and the clergy and the decision was given for war three hundred knights only accompanied john of brienne when he left for palestine in england the wretched john was defying the pope while the kingdom for his sake lay under the papal interdict the french king was more anxious to turn that interdict to his own advantage than to face once more the perils of a distant enterprise and for the time even innocent the third felt that the chastisement of christian heretics was a more pressing duty than the deliverance of the holy sepulchre hence the marriage of john of brienne to mary and their coronation as king and queen of jerusalem in twelve ten were soon followed by the sterner business of war 
in his encounters with Safadin, his exploits may have equalled those of Tancred, but he was compelled to write and tell the Pope that the Latin kingdom was attenuated to the shadow of a shade. His entreaties roused in the Pope the old crusading spirit. Innocent revoked the indulgences which had made the crusade against the Albigenses as attractive as the crusade against the Saracens, and in his encyclical letter he declared that the Moslem power was tottering and ready to vanish away. It had lasted six hundred and sixty-six years, the mystic number which showed it to be the beast of the apocalypse. A little while ago he had written to the Sultan of Aleppo to thank him for his moderation to the Christians and his respect for their religion. He now demanded of Safadin the peaceable and immediate surrender of all Palestine as a country from which he was deriving far more of annoyance than of profit. The crusade which Innocent now wished to set in motion was preached in France by Robert of Courson, an Englishman whom he had made his legate. This pupil of folk of Neuilly had inherited all his earnestness with some portion of his eloquence, nor, if the numbers whom he enrolled as pilgrims be taken as a test, was his success much less splendid. But in truth, the barons and knights who engaged in these expeditions were getting tired of the zeal which invited the maimed, the halt, the blind, and the leper to take the kingdom of heaven by violence, and the same charge which had been heard in the days of Fulk was now urged with greater force against his disciple. Robert was convicted of diverting to other purposes money given solely for the recovery of the Holy Land. But he had a firm friend in Innocent, who, in 1218, appointed him the colleague of Pelagius, Bishop of Albano, in his legatine commission. A few months sufficed after the Council of Clermont to get together and send forth the armies of the First Crusade. For these latter enterprises the time of preparation was extending to years. In his sermons preached before the Fourth Council of Lateran in 1215, Innocent declared his intention of accompanying the champions of the cross to the scene of their exploits, and the troubadours in their songs extolled him as their firm and courageous guide but another year had passed before the king of a people who had done what they could to bar the way of the first crusaders was prepared to set forth on his eastward journey the ships of venice conveyed andrew king of hungary first to cyprus and then to palestine where an unsuccessful attack on a tower or castle on mount tabor seems to have disgusted him with the undertaking in twelve seventeen he determined to return to Hungary, and he reached home with scant glory, but rich in relics gathered in Armenia and Greece. In the following year another force which had been brought together at Cologne, and on its way had done some work in Portugal by taking Alcazar from the Moors, joined the Templars and Teutonic knights who had fortified a post on Mount Carmel. These warriors now inclined to the policy of Almeric I, which had aimed at attacking and recovering Palestine through Egypt. The siege of Damietta in 1218 was begun. The castle was soon taken, and the Christians were still further aided by the disorders which in Egypt followed the death of Safadin, and which drove his son, the Egyptian Sultan Camille, 
to take refuge in Arabia. In the Crusaders' camp, success, as usual, produced arrogance and sloth. Their strength was increased by the arrival of new bands from France under the Counts of Nevers and La Marche, and from England under William Longsword, Earl of Salisbury, and from Italy under the Bishop of Albano and Robert of Cousson. The latter landed only to be cut off by sickness, and while the other chiefs lay idle, Camille was brought back to his throne by his brother the Syrian Sultan Coradin. At length the siege was resumed with some vigour and good fortune, and Coradin, knowing the consequences which the fall of Damietta would bring with it, dismantled the walls of Jerusalem, and then offered peace to the besiegers, pledging himself to rebuild the walls which he had just thrown down, and to surrender not only the peace of the true cross, but the whole of Palestine, with the exceptions of the castles of Karak and Montreal, for the purpose of protecting the pilgrims for Mecca. All that the crusaders could even hope to accomplish was thus within their grasp. But the eagerness of King John of Brienne with the Teutonic Knights and the French to seize the prize was for the Templars and Hospitallers, with the Italians and the Papal Legate, a sufficient reason for rejecting the proffers of the Sultan with indignant contempt. Folly carried the day. Damietta was taken on November 5, 1219, and the Christians hurried in to plunder and to slay. The pillage was abundant enough, but in the work of slaughter pestilence had been beforehand with them. Three thousand only remained, it is said, of the seventy thousand who had shut up in the city at the beginning of the siege, and to these plague-stricken wretches life was promised on condition that they should clear the streets and houses of the dead bodies of their kinsfolk. The crusaders had everything once more in their hands, but the winter was allowed to pass by without further action. When spring came round, the legate, in opposition to the remonstrance of John of Brienne, insisted on attempting the conquest of Egypt. On their march to Cairo in 1220, they received from the Sultan Camille the same offers which they had rejected during the siege of Damietta, and they rejected them again. But the Nile was fast rising. The Egyptians opened the sluices, the camp of the crusaders was inundated, their tents and baggage swept away. It was now the turn of the legate to sue for peace, and he offered to surrender Damietta. In the Saracen camp, it was no easy task for the Sultan Camille to repress the stern indignation with which many of the chiefs demanded the utter destruction of the enemy. He urged the vast importance of doing nothing which should excite fresh crusades in Europe, while Syria was menaced and ravaged by Tartar invasions, and of recovering Damietta without a blow from a garrison strong enough to sustain a siege as long as that which had come to an end a few months ago. The triumph of the Egyptian sultan seemed to be complete, but he had now to encounter an enemy of a very different temper. At the age of eighteen, Frederick, the son of the infamous Henry VI and grandson of Frederick Barbarossa, had been summoned in 1212 by the Pope to assume the imperial crown which Otto of Brunswick, the son of Henry the Lion, was pronounced to have forfeited by his misdeeds. It was the old story. 
the strife between pope and anti-pope was but a reflection of the almost fiercer strife of rival emperors and in this struggle the pope naturally inclined to that side from which the church was likely to reap the most advantage otto the nephew of richard coeur de lion came of a house which had been generally loyal and faithful to the roman pontiffs his rival belonged to the schwabian house of hohenstaufen at whose hands the popes had experienced more of enmity than of friendship the remembrance of the days of frederick barbarossa was vivid in the mind of innocent the third to whom the two emperors appealed after their coronation the deliberation was grave and long but the issue is not doubtful otto's rival philip augustus was an obstinate persecutor of the church and he was even then scheming to deprive the pontiff of his kingdom of sicily he must be put down before he could reach his full strength and therefore the pope declared himself for otto himself devoted to the church by his mother's side from the royal house of england by his father from the duke of saxony all loyal sons of the church him therefore we proclaim king him we summon to take on himself the imperial crown innocent like the frogs in the fable was only exchanging king log for king stork the reign of otto was a period of desperate strife and anarchy in germany of desperate struggles on his part to throw off the papal yoke the pope turned his eye on the youthful frederick then basking in the sunshine of his sicilian paradise and giving promise of the brilliant qualities of his nature which were afterwards to be sullied by darker lines of angry passion in twelve twelve frederick was chosen emperor at frankfurt in twelve fourteen the battle of bouvines shattered the power of otto the gratitude of frederick for the favour of the pope had been shown by taking the crusader's vow and pledging himself to lead an army for the recovery of the holy land while his rival otto lived it was impossible for him to fulfil his promise two years before his death innocent the third had passed away from the scene of proud dominion and unceasing toil and the more moderate and kindly honorius the third sat in the seat in courteous language which might pass for that of friendship the pope besought him to march to the rescue of the holy sepulchre but the dark shadows were already stealing across the clear sky without asking the sanction of the pope frederick by a compact made with his vassals and prelates at the diet of frankfort in twelve twenty procured the election of his son henry to the crown of germany honorius expressed his displeasure at a step which seemed designed to unite permanently the sicilian kingdom with the empire frederick hastened to say that he had no such wish and that sicily should revert to the pope if he should die without lawful heirs when a little later he was crowned with his queen by the pope in the church of st peter's frederick promised that part of his army should be ready for the crusade in march of the following year while he himself would follow in august with the rest but frederick had enough and more than enough to do in dealing with the turbulent barons of apulia and in guarding against saracen insurrection in sicily a fleet of forty ships was sent to no purpose and the tidings of the loss of damietta in twelve twenty one were construed as an expression of divine displeasure for his slackness 
it was clear that only a vast army under a skilful general could turn the scale in favour of the latin christians of palestine but nothing was said of the besotted folly which had more than once flung aside all the advantages which could possibly be gained by the most successful crusade such an army could not however be got together in a month or in a year the decision was postponed from a meeting at veroli to a meeting at verona which never took place when next the pope and emperor met at ferentino in march of twelve twenty three it was agreed that two years more should be spent in preparations and that frederick now a widower should marry iolante the daughter of the titular king of jerusalem and thus as his heir should go forth to the maintenance of his own rights End of section twenty